This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week for episode 351, two dollops of cream cheese on an under-toasted bagel with cucumbers, tomato, capers, and a few slices of bacon, Brian Murray. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. I'm so glad I was able to get through that intro because it is the best breakfast sandwich to date that I've been able to find. You know, I didn't even say what kind of bagel that you would eat this on. I usually go with an everything bagel, but people have told me on the internet that a plain bagel with bacon and cream cheese is the way to go. So I think I'm going to have to try it sometime soon. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today... No, no, let's talk about breakfast some more. (laughs) Okay, I mean, I'll gladly... Let's crowdsource this to Reddit, because I'm sure there are opinions. (laughs) Listen, I don't take opinions from people on Reddit, period. I only take opinions from people on TikTok, because those are the real ones. Those are the real folks out there. Uh, No, 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 absolutely. Let's ignore that. Um, Breakfast is great. We'll have a secret Patreon show in the near future called I Read breakfast and you just talk about the breakfast that you had that day but for now we're here to talk about comic books so i've got two legally mandated questions that i need to ask you and that is how have you been how have comic books been let's start with you nick uh i mean it would be a mistake if i didn't begin with a uh, west michigan weather watch because it is well and truly deserved we were under a winter storm warning <laughs> from wednesday evening through sunday morning Mm -hmm. And we didn't quite have the situation that Buffalo, New York did, which is now, you know, under... Just gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) It it cannot be seen from space. Um, Finally. Finally. (laughs) But uh, it's it's been a good weekend to to stay inside uh, as uh, it's been real blustery and uh, pretty snowy. So just another good excuse to read some comics, which, which I did. One of those books I read was uh, Star Wars Hidden Empire number one. This is written by Charles Soule, art by Stephen Cummings, uh, inked by Victor Olazaba, colors by Guru EFX, letters by Travis Lenham. This follows Crimson Dawn and the previous sort of mini event called Crimson Rain, uh, which was, again, as I think I've mentioned before, basically... Charles Soule attempting to wrest some small amount of relevance from the movie Solo and be like, hey, (laughs) maybe we can extrapolate like three or four things from this that are semi-viable and 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 not just try to like shove the the movie in the closet and padlock it in um, and and try to keep it from everyone. Um, uh, Sorry, Ron Howard, except you shouldn't have directed that movie. That was uh, uh, yeah. Anyway. so basically, the whole point of that first arc was like, oh, Crimson Dawn, they're this new crime syndicate, but they're different, and they've infiltrated all the organizations, and they, they've got all these secret agents you know, in the Empire, in the Rebellion, in Black Sun, they're everywhere, and they could be you know, activated at any point, and they're truly going to uh, upset the paradigm, right? Um, and of course, it's like jokes on you. I've seen Return of the Jedi. You can't fool me. Like I know what's going to happen. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, Charles Soul's like, yeah, but maybe. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You need to talk to the people who own the Star Wars Bible because no one's convinced. All right. See, here's the thing, though. Isn't Charles Soul on the team of rewriting the Star Wars Bible right now? I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I think he was at one point when they were talking about High Republic stuff. They were talking about creating a whole new continuity, and that's why everything got sure. you know shoved into Legends. Um, 
I don't know. So well, maybe you should check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> that's all I'm saying, Nick. Oh boy, here we go. Star Wars canon showdown. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody asked for it. It's it's going to happen today. Uh, it's deep cuts abound. But uh, finally, yeah. But with Hidden Empire, it's like okay, maybe we lied. Maybe uh, Crimson, you know, Crimson Dawn really isn't going to do it. And this is about their downfall. And I'm like, okay. I mean, we all sort of figured out that that was going to happen, but uh, you know, whatever. Um, it's an interesting book. I think honestly, it's more, it's a much more taught, direct read than Crimson Rain was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not trying to float three or four subplots. It's really just sort of this mind games back and forth between. Kira, who some of you might remember is Amelia Clark's character uh, from Solo. I don't blame you if if most of you came away from Solo retaining nobody's name, except you're like, hey, Woody Harrelson was in a Star Wars movie. That was weird. That happened. <laughs> <laughs> that was really odd. Uh, remember when his on-screen wife was in the movie for like four minutes, and that was super not cool. But basically... It's this mind game between Kira and and the Emperor because she's basically declared this war, and and I I totally forgot that the Emperor's first name is Sheev, right? Which is <laughs> good old good old Sheevan. Oh, yeah, Sheevan Palpatine. Who? <laughs> so dumb i hate that so <laughs> revealed much revealed in like, the tarkin book right right uh-huh. and it's like sometimes you don't need every detail and like i feel like for such a long time star wars was really good at being like some things maybe are just a mystery and maybe we don't need to know every waking moment of of yoda's life but now they're like you know what the emperor needs a first name it's like no <laughs> That's that's like 800 years of content we can mine out of Yoda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, and maybe we'll do a mini series after this where we learn the origins of the Emperor's first name. And it's like, no, we don't need that. I enjoyed it. Uh, we all know what's going to happen uh, because it's Star Wars. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's. <laughs> It's stupid, and I loved it. Okay, it's, that's okay. That's I just wanted you to come to a concluding thought. I thought you yeah. were genuinely going to end it at yeah, and I was going to have to move on to Brian really abruptly. So. I mean, it's a Star Wars book. Most of them you could end with like yeah, I read it. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but. I'm going to yeah, read yeah. the next one, <laughs> directed by George Lucas. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that sounds bad uh no. so let's move on we're, nick it's okay it's okay we're gonna move on brian how are you how have comic books been all that stuff i'm good um it's tough for me to say how comic books have been because i've been playing so many video games mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. which i know is not what we're here for but we got a new pokemon we got a new god of war i'm finally playing cyberpunk 2077 i am spoiled for choice over here those are all games that you could easily sink 40 plus hours into as well right and have like for two out of the three yeah, that's that's what i'm saying that's great uh i haven't gotten there on pokemon yet because it came out on friday and i had to sleep at some point <laughs> right but i did manage to squeeze in a little bit of reading i read uh volume two of deadpool samurai this is the the shonen jump uh collaboration with marvel to create a deadpool manga mm-hmm uh, story by Sanshiro Kasama with art by Hikaru Uwasugi. Uh, and it, it's it's just bonkers. It's a it's a fun, good time. There's no like story to take away necessarily. 
I mean, there is a story. Like, the book has a plot. I'm not right. saying that. But it's just goofy fun. Um, there were some actual good meta jokes in this one, which is a, a tough line to walk. But we managed to get uh, one part where Deadpool is, like, being gutted and bleeding all over the place. And it's just like, man, isn't this a lot of dark ink for one page? And then <laughs> isn't it going to bleed through? And on the next page is a big ink splotch. Oh, God. It's just... Uh, <laughs> You can see, so you can see a text bubble from Deadpool. Just this will be a fun gimmick for paperback readers. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> it is That's interesting great. to see Disney slash uh, Marvel really get into the manga space because it definitely seems like um, on the Star Wars front and on the the Marvel front, and even on some of the like Kingdom Hearts. You know, even it's it's been interesting to see them sort of take a real interest in in manga readership which i mean what yeah we know we know disney knows how to ring every dollar right so right right. Uh, we also get one remarkable panel uh where deadpool has a pager that he's going to use to summon his backup and you think it's going to be captain marvel and it's all might (laughs) because (laughs) this is a shonen jump collaboration (laughs) so we get this one great image of all might bridal carrying deadpool um (laughs) before he proceeds to beat the shit out of Thanos and then leap out of the page. Awesome. Okay, so you've solidified the fact that I'm going to read this, right? Yeah. That I'm going <laughs> to this has to happen. Uh we got the the classic uh you know the moment that every isekai has where somebody meets Truck-kun um where when Sakurai spider or Sakura spider gets hit by a truck um just walks out into the street and you have that that panel of like the giant truck right next to the person before they get hit. Um, yeah. And Deadpool's okay, like, yeah. oh yeah, you could walk that off, right? And then she gets run over by another car in the background. It's... I just searched truck-coon on Google Images. It's, it's perfect. Sorry, I just wanted to see if this panel was somewhere, but instead I was blessed with many other goofy panels featuring this idea. I love yeah. it. And the, the capper for me was in the, the big final fight. We have a Deadpool getting jumped by a bunch of villains, and it does this weird thing where it's like the pages are all upside down for for a little while, which was... Mm-hmm tough to manage on an e-reader by the way because right. it kept just reorienting itself and then when that is over we have deadpool like lying on his side in the yamcha crater like that <laughs> that classic image that has been memed all over the place awesome that's just like this 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 book is so fun I'm I'm glad that it's continued to be good because I know when when you talked about the first volume I was like you know this sounds like fun but can a gag manga like this really survive like is Deadpool just too ruined in my brain for it to be fun and I imagine the same for you is Deadpool just too ruined in your brain but it sounds to me like it's actually working and it's playing on t- like playing with the the tropes of manga and it's working really well yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, and I don't know if there's going to be a, a third volume after this. The way this one ended seemed like it could easily be just a stopping point for the mm-hmm. series, which I don't think would be a bad thing necessarily. Like, I mean, sure. I, I'm sure that, you know, this this team has done great work. I'm sure they could continue to do great work. But at the same time, like it, it could just be done and I'd be satisfied with that. Yeah, well, I, I definitely look forward to grabbing this from either my library or I'll I'll pick up a damn physical copy if I have to. Or it's, it's pretty cheap on Comixology, so I'll probably just do that. But uh, 
that's cool. Or Amazon, I should say. I can't say Comixology anymore, I guess. But that's cool. What about you, Mike? For me, uh, I've also been deep in the in the Pokemon realm. Uh, so I fell off. I've also been playing Vampire Survivor like a lot recently, which if you haven't played that game, it's like turn off your brain, use your WSA, WASD keys and just move around. And so I've just been blasting through my like backlog of podcasts um, just to, I don't know, turn my brain off and just feel like I'm doing something not productive for, for a change. Um, it's been wild. Plus, I also had my got my COVID booster on Friday, which knocked me out most of Friday night and a large chunk of yesterday. I like woke back up as a regular person right before our hangout. So that was really fun. Uh, but yeah, so I've been I've been kind of all over the place. Uh, I read the first issue of the Hellraiser Masterworks volume that Paul recommended to me last week on the show. And some of the folks at the hangout also recommended to me. And I have to say, it's actually good comic books. So I, there's like light at the end of this Hellraiser tunnel for me. So I think I'm going to dive through all of that very soon. But as for other books that I read, I did read AXE Judgment Day Omega and AXE Judgment Day number six, or excuse me, yeah, Judgment Day number six. Uh, this is the Kieran Gillen wrap up to the entire Judgment Day story arc. I don't really have much to say. It's pretty good. Um, the only thing that's frustrating me about that event is the fact that Marvel is collecting it in the dumbest way possible in that they're collecting the main storyline into one trade and then they're collecting all the one shots which are crucial to be read in specific order as the series is coming out in a separate trade called the companion book why I don't know I think Marvel hates their readers but then again we <laughs> knew this already I'm frustrated by that I'm probably just going to wait for the hardcover to come out where they'll probably finally release a version that has all of the issues in their order that they're supposed to be read in yeah for 60 fucking dollars yeah, yeah it's going to be 60 bucks whatever I, I just like I know Danny said this I think last night at our hangout like he's excited for Marvel Unlimited to come out with a reading order list where you can actually read them in order in the Marvel Unlimited app which is great for Marvel Unlimited readers but for someone like me who maybe actually wants to own this thing like there's no point in me buying the trades because I don't want to have to give this to someone and say hey read this but then after you finish issue two go read the second issue in this thing and then come back and then read the fourth and then go back and read the, the third issue in the original like there's no point it's stupid I'd rather just burn my money. Anyways, uh, the book that I do want to talk about is Chroma number one. This was uh, my pick last week on the show, and I'm so glad that I picked it. This is Lorenzo Di Felici. The brief summary of this book is an evil monster lives in a tower released once a year to remind the people of this cordoned off city who represents the final humans that exist on the planet Earth um, to remind them of the evils of the outside world. And Zet, a young, like, he's like a religious like army person in training as a little boy discovers that there's more to this monster and there's more to the world that he ever could imagine. I don't want to actually go any further in explaining the book because De Felici does something really, really interesting and smart that only I think comics can do really well. Uh, and it's, it's a very much a meta commentary in, in terms of like what the twist is or meta like idea in terms of what the twist is, but I found it to be so compelling so if you want a really cool book, you can trade weight this. And I think that's fine because it's a five issue miniseries. But I really think that just checking out the first issue is totally worth your money. Now, it is like eight dollars <laughs> because it is 60 pages. So if you want to wait, I don't blame you. But if you can get this on like Hoopla or, you can, 
or you want to wait till it's discounted, <laughs> I'm going to completely sorry. ignore you, Nick. Uh, if you want to wait till this is discounted or something, I think that's fine. But really, I think this series is going to be super fun. And I feel like the artwork is just spectacular. Like that alone is worth the price as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I really, really like this book. I thought it was a total like shocker at how cool it was. So um, highly recommend that if you're interested. But I'll check it out. But if it turns out that the real monster is man, I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, well, no. Uh, the one thing I w- yeah, this is one of those books that I'll say is I'll give you a mic wrapping guarantee on this. It's it's if you don't like it, it's your money back. I'll PayPal you whatever I have to. Um, that goes for all you listeners out there. And you can't just lie. You have to give me an honest rule of ruling on this. But, you know, no one's taken advantage of me yet. So no one's ever going to take advantage of me. Uh, Nick, what about you? <laughs> what else have you been reading? Well, all right. Following that little show of bravado. Uh, <laughs> wow. The, there's just a little hubris there that we might need to revisit at some point. I don't know. Well, there might be more uh, people checking out the mic wrap and guarantee this week than uh, than anticipated. Um, Listen, there's only there's only like a dozen or so books on that list. And quite honestly, they're all bangers. And so if someone says they don't <laughs> like them, they're lying. OK, quite honestly, that's, they're that's all the bangers. Trick. Mike's Mike's pull quote for his personal recommendations. <laughs> what an impartial response. <laughs> yep. Mike's going to pay out in, in crypto, everyone. So just be prepared. Yeah. I have a deep, deep uh, rooted uh, <laughs> investment in FTX. Yeah. So uh, I really need this to work out. <laughs> Mike's like, I need to unload this. Um, yeah. So what else did I read? I did read Kaya number two. This is written and drawn by Wes Craig, colors by Jason Morty, letters by And World Design, and design and production by Erica Schantz. Honestly, I think this is one of those situations where the first issue was a really good showcase of of Wes Craig's uh, artistry, um, but it was definitely sort of the foundational issue problems where it was trying to do a whole bunch of world building and maybe trying to do a little too much world building, especially for a book that I think is arguably maybe not targeting younger readers but it's younger reader friendly and so Mm -hmm. i think having a book that can sort of i'm I'm sure i'm sure there are some seven or eight seven or eight year olds that are like i really want the lore right but um yeah we said before we were recording like my nephew is totally into creepypastas he loves lore he's definitely (laughs) the ideal reader for this book right but I, i i think i think the second issue after that foundation was set, I think the second issue is much more honed in. It feels much more interested in showing instead of telling. Uh, most of the issue is focused around this situation where Kaya is going on this hunt for this boar that they've been chasing. And you sort of get a lot more conversational elements and interplay between the characters. And of course, artistically, it's a stellar looking issue just as good looking as the first issue. Jason Wardy's colors are sort of the unsung hero of this book. Um, mm-hmm. If you aren't familiar with Wardy, uh, Wardy uh, recently colored uh, Wasted Space at Vault. He also colored Abbott at Boom, but I think mm-hmm. only the first volume of Abbott. I don't think he colored the second. Um, but uh, it's a very bright color palette. It's a very wide-ranging color palette. Just a super, super colorful book. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, for anyone out there who hasn't uh, tried reading the series, I'd recommend it. For those of you who read the first issue and and maybe felt narratively it was just a little, um, like I said, just 
a very foundational issue, um, I think you should try the second because I think mm. you'll like it more. Mm. And then I will briefly cover a small segment. It's small because I don't want to give it too much oxygen. Uh, it's called the Mike was right segment. It shows up yeah. ever so occasionally. So, uh, Xander, you can throw in the Mike was right jingle right here. Mm-hmm. Whenever I am wrong, the world makes a little less sense. <laughs> Why are you calling me? I'm right. Say my name. You're Mike Rapid. You're goddamn right. Sometime I'm right. In this week's Mike was right. Uh, you might recall a while ago, Mike said, homesick pilots starts as one thing, turns into something else. And if you showed up for the first thing, you might get a little disappointed. Having read one through eight, I can tell you, uh, again, name of the segment, Mike was right. (laughs) I read one through eight. I suffered through that second arc. Mm -hmm. My God. Look, it's a very beautiful book. Casper, oh gosh, Casper Wingard. I'm sure I'm butchering that on art. Very beautiful looking art. I think he sort of has a different version of the Dave Stewart problem. If Dave Stewart is like version of Photoshop is stuck on gray, black, and red, I think Casper has been stuck with purple and pink, and he's not been able to unlock the rest of the color palette, which is kind of jarring because the book has the colors of an 80s book, but it takes place in 94. So that's mm. just, it looks like Miami Vice, but it clearly is supposed to be nirvana grunge like everybody's got the the flannels tied around their you know tied up around their waist and it looks like a nirvana album cover yeah it, it's a beautiful book it looks like it's supposed to be about ghosts in a haunted house and i think for a lot of people myself included that's kind of appealing the haunted house thing is kind of great it has like a little bit of a winchester house thing going on where parts of the house are like constantly like moving or changing or um, doorways or like shifting at different angles. Uh, people are like falling into like the floor, which is then like building around them. Yeah. It starts out as like a couple bandmates are investigating a haunted house and it turns into a book about how the U S military attempts to weaponize ghost trauma into mechs. And mm-hmm. some people might be thinking, that sounds kind of cool, and and it's not. <laughs> well, uh, let me just w- say one thing. So I brought this up uh, recently uh, at the Hangout, and someone said, well, that's how they pitched the book. And if you read the first four issues of this series, despite the pitch, you would not think this book was going to be about mechs. And then it becomes about mechs. It's really weird. And you know what? I don't I don't dislike a mecha comic. In no, fact, I, I like same. reading Gundam when I can get my hands on it. This does not feel like a Gundam book. And that's the thing that kind of peeved me. So, yeah, thank you for that in heavy quotes uh, review, <laughs> Nick. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, ooh, let's go ahead, check out this haunted house. And then it turns into a book of let's build Jaeger's with generational trauma as batteries. That's a really different thing. Uh, I mean, Nick, you've sold me on this book. I, I don't know about anybody oh, no. else, but I'm actually oh, more no. interested now than I was. Oh, no. <laughs> well, Nick, er, Brian, I think you should take that, run with it, read it, and let us know if you, going in with the actual knowledge of what the series is about, tell us what you think. I'd be curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, I did get the first volume for Christmas last year and haven't read it yet. So. <laughs> there we go. There we go. 
Well, I guess let me talk about one more book before we move on to Top Far Pile. <clears throat> For me, I also read Barbaric Volume 2, Number 2 and 3. If you haven't read Barbaric before, Vault is doing this thing, Michael Morizzi, uh, with pencils and inks by Nathan C. Gooden and Richard Pace, with colors by Addison Duke, letters by Jim Campbell. The story is three-issue arcs about this character named Owen. He's a barbarian who can't die, who's been cursed to basically kill every evildoer he comes across with this talking axe of his that loves to get drunk on blood. It's kind of a fun idea. The first arc was heralded as like one of the best fantasy comics of 2020 or 2021. I can't remember when it came out. Uh, I remember putting it off and then eventually reading it and finding it to be really fun because I think Michael Marisi really gets the dumbness of sword and sorcery and then just plays on into a really brutal short style comic like three issue arcs i think are really hard to accomplish well and i think he's done a very good job of making that work so this new volume continues the story adds a little bit more depth to the character of owen this barbarian his axes continued to be this this alcoholic style character who constantly wants to drink blood so that he constantly wants to find enemies that he can drink the blood of um as you know owen smashes into them with the axe this volume follows Owen and a sorcerer named Soren, who we met in the previous arc. They meet up with his friend Steel to go take out an old foe who has risen from the outskirts of forever, uh, this ancient demigod orc who Owen has beef with and his friend Steel has beef with. As the story continues, we, we get a little bit more history about Owen and who he was before he had the axe, as Steel is one of his old barbarian friends. It turns out they used to be a trio, and there's a lot to unpack in that story, so we get some cool flashbacks um, of those characters kind of just being barbarians, which is fun. And uh, yeah, but the thing that really sells me about this book is not necessarily the sword and sorcery elements, not the the goofy moments that we get with the axe, who's kind of like this blunt in your face, no bullshit type character who can see through magic. And it adds a fun little layer to the story. But uh, it's it's really Gooden and Duke's art. The art style in this book is insane. Uh, there's this combined like wild mix of highly detailed and slightly overprocessed styling that gives this book a really unique and super cool look like crispness and blur are used in a smart way to create a lot of depth of focus that I don't think you see done very well in other comics. I think there are some creators like uh, Salvador La Roca, for instance, he'll do like a blur effect to try to create a depth of field in your comic and it looks really bad. This book, I think, does that and it actually looks really good. I will say I don't think that the art style is going to be for everybody because it's kind of super like I said, over-processed. And I think some people may see that and think, oh, that looks kind of amateurish. But I think that it's done stylistically in a way that makes the book really fun to look at in a lot of ways and adds detail where it needs to be and then gets rid of the detail where you shouldn't really be looking. So I think that's like a smart way to draw the reader's eye. Plus, the color palette of this book is bonkers, right? Like bright oranges and reds and deep blacks pair against like a deep and rich green and yellow in different places. They really establish a style of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are using that. And it's not necessarily something like a space writers, like an Alexis Zurit who has these bright neon colors paired against like a void black. Instead, everything is like a muted highlighted color, but also very dark at the same time. It feels like looking at old drawings on like parchment paper at some, in some ways, I think specifically like the ax is done in a color that is especially different from the color, the base color palette for everything else to make it stand out more, but not so much that it's like this big, right, bright red thing on the page. Instead, it's like an 
off color beige that doesn't sit with the palette, but it works because it looks like bone. It's really, really well done. And I think if you flip through the pages of this, you'd be blown away by just the colors and some of the action. And then it turns out that the story is actually pretty good and it's it's pretty funny. So if you're looking for some sword and sorcery that's not Conan, Conan the Barbarian, um, this book really hits the nail on the head. Um, I think the second volume for this is going to be collected pretty soon, um, especially since issue three came out pretty recently. Yeah, totally recommend this book if you want some of that. If you need some more action fantasy in your life, this book rules. So were were axes like the intentional unifying theme for your reading this week, Mike? Or was that just... That is, that's completely a coincidence. Okay. Just (laughs) thought that was interesting. Yeah, I... I don't like that joke. Uh, let's move on. Um, <laughs> let's talk about comics that are on the top of our pile uh, because it took me a half second. It took the gears of my head a second to click. Uh, but let's talk about comics that are on the top of our pile, either comics that are old or new or things that you just want to get off your shelf and finally read. Um, <laughs> Brian, what's on the top of your pile this week? Uh, top of my pile right now is Way of the House Husband Volume 2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, I read volume one in preparation for today's episode, which you'll hear more about after the break. Uh, but suffice to say, I liked it enough that I immediately bought volume two. So hell yeah, that's, uh, hell yeah, that's definitely like the most glowing recommendation I can give. That, like <laughs> I I spend money on this instantly. I didn't think about it. I just did it. Mm-hmm. The best part about that, Brian, is let me let me check my shelf. There's eight volumes yep. out there in total. So you've got plenty of fun times ahead of you. That's, certain that's that. an afternoon of reading for me. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> well, Nick, we got to start working on the next thing that we got to get Brian. Got to find but another one. Yeah, that's very, very gotta exciting. Get my fix, man, um, I'm getting the itch. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about more. We'll talk more about that after the break. So I guess, Nick, what's on the top of your pile? Yeah, it's it's alien number three. I'm just going to be blunt. It's like I. <laughs> I, I could say, well, you know, it was up to something else, but uh, I, I, I'm not interested in Star Wars Revelations number one. Like, they're doing an, a huge oversized one-shot to basically, like, set the direction for the next trajectory of the Star Wars books and, like, whatever. So it's Alien number three for me. Again, Philip Kennedy Johnson writing uh, art by Julius Oda, colors by Yen Nitro, letters by Clayton Cowles. Coles, sorry. Yeah, I've I've just enjoyed this arc. It's obviously very android centered and not as alien centric as the first arc, which I think hmm. you know, I, I I think people definitely knew what they wanted and expected with the first arc. Uh and I feel like Johnson feels more able to sort of stretch his legs and and build, you know. I mean, this arc is much more about like uh, android human relations and sort of like the complicated relationship between like artificial man and 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 man and and I think that's only something once you, that you can do once you've spent the full first volume blasting aliens in the face and then you see who sticks around and if it's nerds like me then you give them the lore that they want so finally yeah very very pumped for this uh because it was basically this or Star Wars was like, hey, do you want a Yoda miniseries? I'm like, no. <laughs> no. And millions of Star Wars fans cried out, yes. Yes. So that's the problem. Well, the thing is, like, they're fr- I just want to say this. They're framing it exactly like they did the Obi-Wan one, right? So if you remember the Obi-Wan arc from earlier this year that they timed with the with the um, miniseries, it was like, 
well, it's a frame narrative, right? It's Obi-Wan and he's sitting in the Judlin Wastes or wherever it is. I'm sure some Tatooine nerd is going to be mad about me getting that wrong. Um, and he's like looking back on his diaries of like, I remember when I was on Coruscant 20 years ago, <laughs> fade into that memory, right? And he, and he does this, you know, rinse, repeat for five issues. And it sounds like with this Yoda miniseries, it's like Yoda on Dagobah also being like, well, I'm in a shithole right now, so let's reminisce, right? And so they're going to do that for a couple issues with that frame narrative. Um, and like, Nick, are you bitter about this? Nick, am or... I going to read all of it? Yeah. I'm going to be mad. <laughs> yes. They're going to get my money, of course. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm going to hate it. If, if they use this as a way to like shoehorn in a name for Yoda's species, I'm going to be so mad. I love that the, there's just no name. There's just no name. It's just yeah. Yoda's guys. Like, I miss when Star Wars was like that. Like Star Trek was like, we are going to dissect every single detail of of everything, and Star Wars is like, yeah, he doesn't have a last name. Who cares? <laughs> we'll talk to George at some point. Maybe he'll come up with something. Could you imagine if his last name is just like Johnson, like Yoda <laughs> Johnson? Before I get into my pick for this week. Uh, I should shout out some of the folks that are listening live on Discord with us. Danny is going to be reading Once Upon a Time at the End of the World number one from Boom Studios. Paul G is going to be reading rereading Morning Glories. And Jeff is going to be reading Wake, the Hidden History of Women-Led Slave Revolts, which is very exciting. I thought he was going to be reading The Wake, which is a totally different book. Oh, and Hannah is getting in at the last second with Day Tripper. So good for all of you. I'm glad you're all reading pretty good books. It sounds like everything's going to be good. But for me... Um, I had a plenty of books that I could have read this week, plenty of winners that are coming out. Department of Truth number 22, The Human Target number 9, 8 Billion Genies number 6, X-Men number 17. But I'm picking a book off my shelf because you've heard me exclaim how much I love all those other books. So let's talk about a book that you maybe haven't heard of that Nick turned me on to. This is Joyama Book 1 by Daniel Isles. Nick showed this to me a while back. The art looks incredible. Um, so I snagged a copy of Barnes & Noble a while back when I like went on a I'm going crazy. Let's just buy a bunch of manga day and uh this looks really cool it looks like akira meets mega city one very cyberpunky very simple black and white and gray it's got a big anime manga vibes but with a western style which i think looks really cool the story seems to be about a government hired hit squad hired to take out someone and the question of who was this person intensifies a conspiracy as the story develops and i'm always up for a good action mystery dystopian future thing um let's see how this goes the book itself looks very pretty i'm really excited to pick it up off my shelf and read it so very excited about this. And Nick, thank you for turning me on to this book. I appreciate it. I haven't finished it either, so we're going to both have to read this now. <laughs> it's a race. It's a race. <laughs> um, well, cool. This this is all, all sounds really good, but let's take a quick break. We're going to talk about some of our Goodreads Reading Challenge books. We're going to dump into the topic right after the break. This week on I Read Comic Books, we're talking about our Goodreads Reading Challenge for 2022. Brian, Nick, and I came to this week's episode to discuss the books that we picked. We haven't done one of these episodes yet this year. The Reading Challenge has been all over the place. It's an incredible number of books. We did change things up a little bit, so if you're curious, check out the link in the show notes to go join the Reading Challenge and make sure you finish it by the end of the year so that you can become one of the people that picks the first book that we read for next year as part of the Reading Challenge. 
Some things are going to be changing with that in the future, but more on that later this year. For now, Brian, Nick, and I are here to talk about the books that we picked, why we picked them, and what we liked or disliked about the books that we picked. So I guess jumping right into things, we're going to talk about Brian's pick, which was Spider-Man's Spider Shadow. That's now, it's called Spider-Man's Spider Shadow. Uh, this book was written by Chip Zdarsky with art and inks by Pascal Ferry, colors by Matt Hollingsworth, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, the summary for this book that I kind of put together here was, in a what-if universe, Spider-Man's connection with the Venom symbiote drives him to murder some of his enemies under the guise of, they would have gotten out of jail anyways. After Spider-Man becomes the menace that J. Jonah Jameson always thought he was, the Sinister Six team up to take Spider-Man out once and for all. I don't know how much of a major spoiler that is, but regardless, we're going to be talking some spoilers today, so just a fair warning. Um, Brian, what's up with this book? Why'd you pick it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always a sucker for a good what if. Um, and so when I saw that this was coming out, um, I was initially concerned because the, the whole like, uh, it's a dark and gritty version of the character. <laughs> like that's that's something that has been done to death with every character in the Marvel canon. Sure. But I saw that Chip Zdarsky was writing this one and I've I've enjoyed a lot of what Zdarsky's put out. So I gave it a shot and I was actually very pleasantly surprised by it. I feel like it it does a good job of really getting into Peter's head and it's not just like Spider-Man is bad now. It actually <laughs> examines like this is why Peter is feeling this way. These are the events that brought him to this point, and this is why he's continuing to act this way based on what has happened to him. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was really, really well executed as as far as what ifs go. Right. And in Marvel's typical, you know, fashion, they usually what ifs are maybe one issues or one issue at a time. And so like you can you have to compact a lot of story and development and character choices into like a handful of panels to be like, I don't like this anymore. I guess I'll kill everybody. And like that becomes the story. Um, so it's, it was nice to to see this stretched out. But I, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I'm curious, Nick, you're not a big Marvel reader. You're not a big Spider-Man reader. So yeah. what was your take on this? Yeah, I mean, what, what if stories for me are already kind of terrifying because what if is kind of predicated on what's expected like we're gonna riff on the norm and for me a lot of times it's like yeah but like i don't i don't in 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 this setup i i don't know what the control is so i don't know what we're gonna why we're gonna go talk about the variable <laughs> sure that's about as much math and science as i know that's all of it everyone mm-hmm so there was kind of that difficulty, but thankfully I have seen Spider-Man 3, which means I think I was pretty well set up to read this book. Uh-huh. Uh, it is true that most of my Spider-Man knowledge is uh, permutations and combinations on the um, I'm a bit of a scientist myself uh, <laughs> line. Uh, I love uh-huh. all of the memes. I, lo- I love Willem Dafoe. I love... Uh, any of this stuff uh him doing the green goblin voice makes me laugh every time even when Mm -hmm. it's not supposed to so that is my collected knowledge but i I was i i I was pretty excited when the intro mentions like spider-man found a new black costume that responded to his every thought and and i thought about spider-man 3 and i was like i mean he was really moving in that suit but i didn't really think that it had powers i (laughs) <laughs> the three-piece suit, you know, where he does the, yeah, I don't know what you call that club dance suit. Move. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He sort of like glides in the door and slides out like two seconds later with that suit yeah. on. Emo um, Parker, yes. History at some point 
will elevate that movie into the film pantheon to its rightful position, but mm-hmm. it won't be for a while. Uh, honestly, I think this book had a tough line to walk between, as you said, Spider-Man just murdering everyone, uh, and then also coming from Chip Zdarsky, and it being a Spider-Man book, um, not turning into a weird tonal discord between Spider-Man and Chip's comedic leanings on top of also trying to do this darker story. Cause I think that mm-hmm. would have been even more difficult to juggle and, and possibly not feasible. And, and I know that I think chips chips been writing uh, daredevil, right? He's been writing everything amongst other things. Song. And I, and I yeah, assume most yeah. of those aren't exactly a laugh fest. So clearly yeah. <laughs> like chip has, uh, you know, compared to a lot of the, the non Marvel stuff that I've read, you know, it seems like chip has sort of, pivoted out of you know being you know quote oh the funny one right it seems like he's sort of i mean didn't he like start his tenure at marvel with howard the duck or something like that uh, right around that time sure i I, I can see why you were concerned yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's 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 weird because i think like us (laughs) i think unfortunately a lot of us on the show aren't necessarily reading like all the big marvel books and all the big dc books with the exception of maybe some batman stuff so it's interesting to see like these creators who we know from their comedic you know offshoots right like ryan north writing squirrel girl or, or jughead or something and then it turns out oh he's writing fantastic four and so when i picked up fantastic four number one i was like there's gonna be some bits in this and it's like some maybe creators have more depth than that mike uh <laughs> and i think <laughs> Zdarsky, i know Zdarsky, you know is very good with with comedy and stuff but i also think that he has for the last year or two been leaning away from that into other stuff i think like his public domain book has a lot of drama and comedy in it mm-hmm. whereas like his daredevil and his P- peter parker stuff that he's done spider-man stuff has definitely shied away from that so it's it's interesting to see you know pick up a book like this and i i feel the same way as you nick where you maybe expect a little bit more quippy spider-man especially with it being spider-man of all characters and instead you get this pretty dark and in my opinion very nuanced take on the spider-man and a lot of those characters that somehow manages to fit inside of this very short um miniseries so i totally understand where you're coming from with that yeah. yeah, and like after it sort of establishes a darker tone, I'm just thinking to myself, oh boy, like I hope he doesn't try to like roll in the jokes now because that's going to be weird. <laughs> that's yeah. going to be weird. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I think people that don't know a lot, you know, or maybe only seen the movies or just have that sort of pop culture osmosis of, of um, Spider-Man will be fine. Um, just... As a side note, what's with all the goblins? Like, there's so many goblins. Like, what's the deal? Goblin, that- Nick. All right, all right. Hold on, bleep that, Xander. Bleep that. Uh, uh, so the thing, of, so that's the thing I found interesting about this, right? I think if you don't know a lot of the history of Spider-Man, this book can work for you. But also, there are moments where you're like, "What exactly is this?" Right? We know that Green Goblin has a a green mask and flies around on a glider. That's the that's the basic gist of, of the Green Goblin. And yet in this book, we see him dressed up as the Hobgoblin. And I think it, it doesn't really affect the story to know that, but it does feel out of place. You're like, is this actually Harry Osborn? Uh, yeah, Harry Osborn? Or is it someone else? No, it's a different um, guy. Is it, 
Right. Still, exactly. Exactly. So you're, you're kind of wondering which goblin is this? Who is the black cat? If you don't know Spider-Man's strange romantic history that he's date, he's dated the black cat. And, you know, who is she? What does she you know matter to the story or, or anything, you know, compared to the MJ that we all know? Um, it's it's very it can be a little bit, I think, leave you with some questions. But it doesn't take away from the story by any means. But it, this book clearly takes place in a specific specific era of spider-man that zadarsky wanted to write and I, I found that it ultimately it worked right you know your basics you know that there's doc ock you know that there's uh, a shocker you know that there's a j jonah jameson I, I think the eddie brock thing was pretty fun if you know about <laughs> spider-man lore eddie brock who's, rock ock yeah <laughs> who becomes brock ock who levels up in this you know i i really like the way that they twisted things and, and made it like kind of a, a fun new way to approach that character but yeah so I don't know, but I think like again, if you don't have the Spider-Man lore, this book probably works. And Nick, I, I you know, I, again, I'm curious to know, like, do you think like without knowing all the ins and outs of Spider-Man, did this book work for you? Yeah, I, I think obviously Spider-Man has such a, a history, and uh, what a what a complicated tangle web, tangled web has been woven over the years. So, um, I'll just leave now. And um, yeah, so. But there wasn't a character that I, I I I encountered, and I was like, "Well, who the heck is this?" Right? Uh, obviously, again, with someone with a character that's been around for so long, I think most writers, especially those who are steeped in in deep to low, you know, deep to lore, are always sort of like, "Well, what deep cut character do I want to throw in here and just show how right. smart I am?" Right? And just flex, right? I mean, honestly, I'm surprised there wasn't a stilt man reference in this book right. because I feel like. Of all books, why not? But anyways. Right. And that's that's the thing, right? It there wasn't a deep cut character, at least at least for me. Maybe like Hobgoblin was the one where I was like, Oh right. There's just it's just Goblin Palooza in, in the Spider Verse. But uh there's two, right? Like yeah, there's, there's two. There's, there's a like, lot of goblins. How many people but... take up? Even I know that like the green goblin mantle is like a revolving door. Is it not? Like it's a. We don't have time. It's a... No, <laughs> let's let's do it. Let's pivot the show. But I, I I will say this. Like, I I really liked having the Fantastic Four. Obviously, they're both in New yeah. York, right? And obviously, they've got a history. And Johnny Storm and Peter Parker are our best buds, et cetera, et cetera. Um. I do want to briefly speak about the art in this book. Um, for me, one, I'm not really familiar with Pascal Ferry's art. So mm-hmm. keep my, you know, following comments in that context. Uh, but I found it really inconsistent. There was a lot of stuff I really dug. And there was a lot of stuff that where I was just absolutely kind of like, this doesn't <laughs> look like the rest of the book. Like the Fantastic mm. Four stuff looks great and almost like a lot of the fantastic four scenes almost have like this retro ish softer color palette going on that i really liked um but then like mj was just drawn very weirdly for me i don't know um yeah like almost like character to character if you would have like put all of the people in like a lineup i'm not so sure i would have said it was the same artist but the sure. action shots were great. I thought the action shots, the action scenes were great. The Spider-Man side was great. When it was like Peter Parker, I felt like the art almost looked like someone else was sharing art duties. And hmm. yeah, I don't know. Sure. But yeah, I found I mean, it approachable can... and enjoyable. So, I mean. 
Yeah, I, I can I can see what you're saying. I, I felt some of the inconsistency. Some pages looked rushed compared to others um, in terms of just like the amount of detail or the amount of like, I don't know, like, quote unquote, sketchiness. Like, and again, mm-hmm. these are probably mm-hmm. not good grades. We are not perfect, you know, art critics by any means. But you can it, I feel like as a reader, you can tell when a page feels like done quickly compared to a page that's done with a lot of time at times and maybe that's a com- you know, combination of inks and colors and who knows maybe that was intended but uh yeah i i feel what you're saying with that um i i did like the inclusion of the fantastic four i thought that was a fun way to like turn the story and make it not just about peter parker um and i i love the way that the interactions between those peter parker and the fantastic four really worked um especially near the end mm-hmm. with the with the symbiote and all that stuff we don't have to necessarily go into the details to spoil it but i do like the the way that the story twisted in order to add some more uh depth more than just like oh the sinister six are out to get spider-man now um i thought that was pretty cool so yeah overall i i did like this book i thought it was pretty fun i haven't read a spider-man book in a long time and it kind of reminded me of why i liked reading spider-man when i did um i just fell off the train and never got back on but who knows maybe maybe that rail's gonna circle back baby let's keep with the metaphor um who knows go back and reread so, superior spider-man <laughs> yeah yes that's uh yeah maybe i've heard i've heard good things did you like that one brian yeah it was okay 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 um well i guess any final thoughts brian any any last bits you want to say about this book before we move on no i mean I, i'm glad that it genuinely seems to be a positive reaction to it. I, I saw Paul in the Discord chat saying that a lack of the spider lore did make it harder to enjoy, mm-hmm. which I totally get. Like, I, I think that I didn't notice that just because like, I, I don't read a ton of Spider-Man, but he is still my favorite like Marvel character. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think I forget that not everybody has that like back pocket of, of Spider-Man lore that I have. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, totally get that. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on and talk about Nick's pick. Nick picked The Way of the House Husband, uh, written and drawn by Kasuki Ono. Uh, the summary I wrote for this was Kenjiro Tsuda is was the fiercest member of the Yakuza, a man who left countless underworld legends in his wake. They called him the Immortal Dragon. But one day he walked away from it all to travel another travel another path, the path of the house husband. And quite honestly, you can't really sum up what this volume is, I think, without just talking about every single individual story. So I think we're going to try to avoid that. Um, Brian, had you read you said you love this book enough to buy the second volume. Yeah. So let's hear your thoughts on this one. I, I thought that going into it, I thought that the gimmick of like ah this this person used to be yakuza and now he's a house husband isn't that funny i thought that mm-hmm. was going to get old really fast and it doesn't at all <laughs> it, it is still very funny at the end of the volume yes <laughs> yes that's just the they keep going back to a lot of the same jokes and you'd think it would be stale but every single time he's like doing something very domestic and they cut to tatsu's face and he's just like super intense, like staring down at a knife <laughs> yeah. or something. It still makes yeah. me laugh every time. Yeah. I don't know how they do it, but well done. Yeah, this book, this book is easily one of my favorite manga to recommend to people because it's such a perfect example of what a good gag manga is. And somehow I, I like went into this book when I first read it with no preconceived notions as to really what to expect, other than I knew it was a joke. Like the premise is very straightforward and somehow eight volumes later it's still very funny it, it's 
maybe not as consistently funny, like perfect 10 out of 10 across the board, but it's like high eights, high nines, high, you know, in 10 across the board. And I, I love that. So th- this first volume has some of the best bits that I think if it doesn't hook you here, it's never going to hook you. You know, moments of like, <laughs> like lines like, where do you hide the white powder, the good stuff? Like, and he's talking about flour, like... <laughs> That is the level of of goofy gag that we get in this. And it's it's perfect because the, the stories aren't long. Each chapter is like 10 to 12 pages each. And they always end with, like Brian said, the same kind of punchline. Or if something does continue, it's like a very small, minor thing. Because as you read more and more of the volume, some of the jokes start to reference back to things that have happened in previous things. But it's like not completely necessary to have, to have read those to get the joke. You know, the, the anime of this polycure police officer thing that uh, uh, his wife is obsessed with um, is a thing that is consistent throughout the series. And the more in-depth it becomes in real, the funnier it gets to me. So I, I love this this story. I, I can't talk about it enough. Um, but yeah, I, rather than dissecting all the individual issues, Nick, I guess we should ask you, why did you pick this for the reading challenge? What did you like so much about it that you think everyone should read it? Yeah. So, I mean, full credit, Mike obviously recommended this to me a while ago, and I, I don't think it was one of the first mangas I read, but it was definitely one that was probably within the first five or six that I read. So pretty, pretty new in my manga history, if you will. And um, mm-hmm. it's just, uh, it's it's a funny book, but also like artistically, it feels like it's it's super well drawn, super detailed. It's... I, I would say it's like somewhere between a conventional house style, but then also sort of its own its own thing. And and again, just like the, the comedy hits and and comedy is, is just it's so hard to do in comics. It's just so, so difficult to like actually elicit a laugh, at least out yeah. of me. So when mm-hmm. it when it when it happens, like or when I, you know, get a smile on my face, like I know, you know, a book is, is doing something right. And just the juxtaposition of the the detail of the action sequences and the intensity of the art and just like just how the, just, quote unquote action sequences of yeah of Kinjo just running through a supermarket so that he can get discounted cabbages or something. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, but it's like the thing is like, yes, that's what's happening, but it's framed like and it's shot and it's drawn. Like it's like an actual action combat manga (laughs) and it's really him in a battle with all of these other, you know, people at the supermarket trying to get the deals, you know, because he's got all of his coupons prepared and he's, you know, like I'm (laughs) ready to throw down or whatever. And he's like, it's coupons. There's one great moment where he's he's running from these Yakuza goons who were sent to try and catch him after he crashed his bike. It's not important why Uh, but they, they chase him into. Uh, a store but here was he was going to try and get a deal and afterwards he is berating these two as if they were his henchmen right and talking about like we got a t-shirt and a pair of gloves that's it (laughs) (laughs) i i i go ahead mike the the jokes the jokes that constantly come up of like other yakuza still thinking that he's in the yakuza right and then trying to like deal with him and then he teaches them like a life lesson about how to get a better discount at a grocery store if you go and bring your own bags or something like (laughs) it's so it's so absurd and every single time like you after you read enough of this you know what's coming and it still works every single time because 
every once in a while we get a little bit of lore like a little bit of e like tiny minuscule pieces about the history of this character so you never know if that's going to be one of those moments but when it turns into a joke it it hits every time because you didn't get the the lore but instead you got the sort of thing it's it's perfect it's absolutely perfect yeah uh, the art is just um just amazing i i love the sequence with the, the the shady knife salesman who comes to like sell him those crappy knives and he's like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna show this guy. And he like makes him like a full lunch with the knives, and like his lunch is like so good that the guy all of a sudden like you see this blurry panel of like euphoric bliss as the guy like eats <laughs> the hamburger and it like makes him think back on his childhood and it's like this fuzzy picture of him like in the park or whatever just smiling or whatever and it's like so goofy this isn't like a deep book so i don't want to like pontificate on this too much but um you know i have this stupid uh you know i have this liberal arts degree so i have to read into everything too much right to some extent to justify the degree and (laughs) in that regards what i like about this book uh when i think about it a little more is that and again i don't know if this was the intent right um, but this is postmodern literary theory, baby. Uh, meaning making mm-hmm. is what you make of it. And for me, I do really <laughs> appreciate that there's sort of this idea underpinning it that like whether you're staying at home and you're cleaning the house or buying your groceries or whether you're out, you know, working some job or whatever, that you can approach whatever you do with sort of like an intensity and like a devotion. And that like whatever you do, like you can master it and you can take it seriously and that it's like just as valued as what anyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I do really like uh, for me, like that idea that like, yeah, you know, he's out, you know, buying all the food for the day and he's making the dinner and he's keeping the house clean and he's, you know, remembering everybody's birthdays and joining all the neighborhood organizations. And like it's a lot for him and it keeps him busy and he like really loves it. And, you know, there's a point where, you know, his his assistant addresses the elephant in the room. Right. And he's like, you know, you used to be in the Yakuza and that was a big deal. And you, you know, were this head honcho. And and like, when are you going to come back to that? Because like what you're doing right now is a joke or whatever. And his reply to him is what was it? He says, you know, I'm protecting my family my own way. You can't protect what's precious to you through violence. And I'm like, okay, this book is getting weirdly a little like meditative now, but I, mm-hmm. I, I think there's something in that. And I, I appreciate that. Cause I think this book also could have been some sort of unfair jab at like, well, you know, he used to be in the Yakuza, but now he's doing all this other dumb stuff or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. it's not that. Yeah, there's definitely like a, a love, a, a like a le- love letter to the idea of dedicating your time to being this this house husband person. Um, I, I totally could see that. Um, but also, it's pretty funny that yeah. Yakuza man uh, has a fight with Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it loses. <laughs> He's so like, like pointing it to a corner and he's like, that's your turf and you, you got to protect it or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So before we, you know, we go into too many other of the story again, this yeah. volume is, is a delight to read. Uh, Nick, I'm so glad that you picked it. And Brian, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Um, The more people I think that can get into this book, the better, because it is such a pleasure to read. I think it, it's one of those books that like if you're having a rough day or a rough week and you just need something that's going to be fun and kind of dumb this is the perfect book. And it, I, I don't know. It always cheers me up whenever I get a new volume because it's just more of the same, but in 
very fun, interesting ways. Um, and as the series goes on, cast of characters expands, the lore, the goofiness expands. It's it's pretty fun, but it still seems still stays very grounded. It's still him being a house husband. Yeah. Um, and there's clearly, clearly a lot of ground for them to cover in this book. Um, so yeah. Very cool. Uh, but let's let's talk about the last book that we have on this list. Uh, I picked the at the book Aster of Pan. This is written and, and drawn by Merwan, a French creator. This is basically a French book that was translated over to English, published by Magnetic Press through Kickstarter. And then now it's a thing and published in different bookstores. If you got the hardcover from the Kickstarter, it's actually cut in a really interesting way. All of the corners are rounded um, that like are on the open side of the book. So like it's got a really interesting shape, this book. And it's humongous, too. It's pretty, pretty decent sized. I actually have like one of the dodgeballs. Like I accidentally backed this at a higher tier than I thought. So I ended up getting like all this extra stuff. And this is one of those Kickstarters where like I was like, yeah, I'll get a physical book and I'll get like the prints because I think the art's really cool. And they're like, cool, we unlock this and we unlock this and unlock this. And I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want any of this extra stuff. And now I have like stickers and I literally have. Hold on. I literally have I'm we're on camera over here. I literally have one of the balls from this book. It's it's insane. I don't think that they're regulation size. I think this is a bit smaller because it's a squeezy ball. But um, anyways, this book is awesome. And uh, I picked it. The summary for it is in the year 2068, Aster is an outsider living on the island nation of Pan, a war-torn wasteland where scavenging is the only way to survive. On the day of the, the leadership elections, Pan finds itself being forced to join the Federation of Fortuna by force. But when Junta, Pan's leader's son, who left Pan years ago, challenges Fortuna with celestial mechanics, a sacred game of dodgeball, Aster and six others from Pan are recruited and the future of Pan is in their hands. I don't know if I got all the names right in that. I was going off of memory. So what did you guys think of this book? <laughs> My favorite moment of the entire book was when we discovered that Celestial Mechanics was dodgeball. <laughs> like, Because they, they talk about it and it sounds like it's going to be this grandiose thing. And the people of Pan have no fucking idea what it is. Right, right. And so we get there and they're like, they go to this sunken court and play a game of dodgeball. Is like this is the highest stakes game of dodgeball i've ever right. seen <laughs> well yeah because they the you know the story is that they you know if they have to win this game of dodgeball otherwise this massive country is going to basically claim ownership to them and they're forced to give their port of, a portion of their rice rations to this bigger country because you know reasons imperialism right and so to play this game like the way that it's originally described, it's like it's three women and four men come together to blah, blah, blah. Like it's pitched as this big thing. And someone's like, that's just a dodgeball game, right? <laughs> it's such a such a goofy concept. Of course, we don't even get to that until like 40 or 50 pages into this 200 page volume, which I, I forgot about when I was reading it. But yeah, I guess, Brian, let's let's start with you uh, beyond the, the joke of it being dodgeball. I guess what do you think of this book overall? Um, eh. Honestly, okay. it, it, it didn't do a whole lot for me. Uh, I think part of that was that the lettering was very small mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the pages were all very cramped. Like they they put a lot of panels onto some of those pages to a point where I had to like lean in to be able to read the dialogue. And I mean, part of that is that my eyesight is garbage. So maybe that's not an issue that everybody has, but sure, it, it definitely like what I was hunching forward to try and make it out. I was like, uh, all right, this is not ideal. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, story, like I, I did enjoy the characters. Yeah, I thought that Aster was charming in that sort of like kick ass, vaguely feral jungle person <laughs> way that she <laughs> yeah. is. 
her 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 buddy uh what's his name will willem willis willis Willis. uh willis is a very good foil for her because he is very much like as much of a city boy as you can be in that Mm -hmm. in that kind of a world uh so i thought like the interplay between those characters was very fun yeah definitely i mean Nick, what were your thoughts on this? I, I we did this completely out of order. I should have said why I picked this book, but let's talk about what you thought of the book, and then I'll tell you guys why I picked it. <laughs> yeah, why you're all wrong, <laughs> dumb, and stupid, and wrong, right? <laughs> Gosh, there, there's, there's so much to unpack with that with this book, and and I don't mean that in a bad way. There's, there's just so much going on. First off, the art kind of reminds me of like Tyler and Hillary Jenkins a little. Sure. Again, you know, artists don't like being compared to other artists, but I, I, I still persist uh, to do it. So, um, uh, yeah, sorry. Also, there's like an interesting kind of like texture to the art. Gosh, like the best way I could explain this, and this is what it kind of made me think of is like, if you were, I think like in like maybe second or third grade, and I'm sure everybody probably did this in, in elementary school, like I think it was an art project. Maybe it was a science project, but you like made your own paper. Like you oh, sort sure. of like, you know, you had all the the scraps or whatever. And you, I don't even remember how you did it, but when you, when you were done, right, it didn't look like a piece of lined paper out of a notebook. It was sort of this multicolored kind of like textured grayish stuff. And you're like, I guess this is paper, mm-hmm. but it almost looks like this book was drawn. I say drawn, watercolored, watercolored on, on like a, textured surface almost like handmade paper Mm -hmm. and it sort of gave it with that kind of like this older aged manuscript kind of feel um as sort of this like ancient story which which makes sense when you reach the end of the book and you sort of have this outer framing network where it's like yes and this happened a while ago or whatever minor minor spoilers so uh, aesthetically i thought it was interesting um narratively i think for me, obviously, the book takes a shift when it kind of sets itself up or, or pivots into being almost like a a sports comic. Um, and, mm-hmm. and obviously, it maintains on top of the being a sports comic all of the other socio-political issues about navigating the you know the relationship between um, Pan and Fortuna and and Ceres. I think it's called Ceres. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and all of that. But at least before it pivots, and and, and I like both parts, um, but before it pivots, when you're sort of trying to parse together, okay, this is kind of like a post-apocalyptic world, and well, like, and and we we know when it takes place, right? But we don't know what's happened from now to then. And so, like, if you read some of the context clues, you can figure out that it's France, and you can say, well, Nick, it was written by a French person, I, I think. So of course that makes sense. Yeah. But like, not everybody sets their works and their you know where they live so you know unfair assumption but you see like tanks and they know what tanks are but then uh, i think willis sees a drone and he doesn't know what a drone is because he like describes Mm -hmm. it as like a flying plane so you're like okay they're familiar with this but they're not familiar with that and just trying to parse together um what's happened and sort of seeing that like now they have an economy that's like based on i think kilowatts um, so like yeah, everyone's watts, yeah. right. Everybody's yeah. like bargaining for electricity and you're like, okay, this is kind of interesting. And you're like trying to figure out like, where do they stand in terms of technology? And then you, you know, are introduced to Fortuna 
and um like fortuna has like all of the modern technology and more right and they've got like mm-hmm. they're able to have these stadiums where they can change the weather and the temperature and the elevation and you're like oh wow okay so it's not like it's not like everybody got set back to zero at some point right like clearly some people you know moved forward and i mean i enjoy those moments where you're left to kind of take all of these different disparate elements going on mm-hmm. and kind of make a cohesive whole lot of it. And, and this book does a really great job at leaving those little um, breadcrumbs and, and just letting you put that together. And I really enjoyed that. See, funny enough, that's one of the things that made me the craziest in oh. this book. <laughs> oh, really? Cause they tell you like one of the first things you see is that, you know, it's set in 2068. Right. And I'm just like, that is only 46 years from now. Right. How do we get, <laughs> In 46 years to jungles in France and people have developed whole new cultures and religions. And I'm mm-hmm. like, like, there are, I will probably still be alive in, in this year. Like, mm-hmm. you know, fingers crossed, but it, I just, I just think it takes a lot longer than that for society to transform in the way that it did in this book. Right. It's one of those things where like it would almost have been better if they didn't put a date on it so mm. that you could just kind of. Yeah, this is some possible future thing, you know, and it, and it doesn't even have to be like Earth. It could have just been anywhere. Yeah. But the fact yeah. that they like put like put a date stamp on it and have, you know, buildings with French signs right in there, like it, it sets it into a world in which it doesn't fit, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, French, I feel like, okay, so here's where we're going to talk about why. Let's make blanket statements about the French. Let's (laughs) do it. I know you were thinking about it. Let's do it. So I like French comics a lot for a lot of reasons. um, And this is one of them. I think there is, Brian, I think your point is super valid, right? There is no explanation enough to give us a justification to think that this is some sort of alternative history or alternative future from an alternative history, right? And But I, I like that a, a lot of French authors and creators do this without any explanation and just kind of expect you to roll with it. I think that some readers find that annoying, but I've read plenty of French comics where they're just like, you know what? F everything that exists. We're going to take some elements from the real world and some elements from my fake world, and we're going to throw them in there, not explain anything to you. Um, and I think that's what makes some of these books really interesting, because if you, if you can let go of those pieces and just kind of roll with some of the familiarity, you can be you can be left with a book that is is trying to tell a story without trying to grab onto historical context. They're just using familiar objects and things in order to ground some of the ideas so that they can talk about something else. Um, because otherwise, then we have to start playing with this idea of, is this is this a, found, a fallout of World War II or something? And like, what, where are the Nazis? And we don't, and, and like, I think a lot of French creators probably just don't want to talk about World War II, like <laughs> if they're trying to do a sci-fi story. Um, so who knows? I don't know. Yeah. I, I think like you can say, I, I think the point of that was to ground a lot of things. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Um, but I put this on here because one, I don't think that we've had a lot of French comics in our reading challenges. And so I wanted to put something in there that I have read that I thought was really good because um, I personally really like this story. It's a, I think the art is absolutely beautiful. I think Merwan does a fantastic job of drawing really exciting action scenes that like draw you in. And even, even if there is a lot going on on the page, you can tell like there's a ton of vibrant details that, that are being added just to make sure that you get the full context of pictures. Cause I think you could 
go the route of something like a manga where you kind of get rid of all the backgrounds just to focus on the action. And while those things work, I think adding all of the extra layers of painting and drawings and stuff in the background just makes a richer comic, like a, a James Stoko style, you know, yeah. comic where you're like, holy smokes, there's so much going on in this page. But, you know, I, I can get being distracted by that stuff, too, because you start to ask questions as soon as you start pulling on threads. It's like you can't put that back together. The the, the sweater is becoming undone. Yeah, it's, it's like if you tell me that the answer to the equation is 13, I will just accept that. But if you right. tell me that the other two numbers that get you to 13 are two and four, now I'm sitting there trying to do math and figure out what you did to get there. And yeah. You know, maybe it's just me being bad at math, but I can't pull it off. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, yeah, I guess. Did you guys have any any other thoughts about this book? I guess before we before we wrap up here, I think like I love this book just because I feel like it's it's a fun, stupid book about it's it's a dodgeball comic book that is also talking about the problems with imperialism, right? The ending is ridiculous because why would winning a dodgeball game save an entire culture? I don't know. But I guess if it's part of your religion, like, sure, like, let's not give up on the core conceit of this book and say, you know what? Everyone was safe. The end. Yeah. I also take issue with the, the slogan on their, their statue at the end. Some mm. of the effect of like, spirit overcomes reason or something like that i'm just like no it doesn't <laughs> that's 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 like that's anti-vaxxer logic bryant went and sat in the corner for the rest of the day with his arms crossed <laughs> totally pissed off yeah nick what, what were your final thoughts about this book i guess you know i i i liked all of it i thought artistically it was it was really great and um when it did pivot into being a sports manga, I thought that the artist say manga. I'm so used to I'm so used to following sports with manga no, instead you're of not sports wrong. comic, right? You're not wrong. <laughs> that um, I felt like this artist had had the chops to to follow and and deliver an action based um book. But but you're right. On underneath it all, there is sort of a narrative about how do we feel about ideas like nationalism and citizenship. And the ideas of belonging versus not belonging and the privileges and rights we afford to people that are seen as belonging versus not belonging. But approaching all of that in a, in a way that doesn't feel like um, like it's like a PBS, you know, edutainment. Everybody, you know, take notes on this. There will be a quiz afterward sort of way. Sure. And sure. and I appreciated that. So. And of course, now I can just I can go and flex and tell other people I've been reading French comics and then like pull out a mm -hmm. pipe and puff on that and maybe wear a beret for at least half a day or something. So, I right. mean, there are additional perks. Nick's just going to be walking around his his suburban home, town <laughs> and just, just eating soup and saying, no, it's not French onion soup. Yeah. It's just soup to me. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, oh, so, well... <laughs> I think this is a that's a good place to wrap things up i appreciate you know you guys coming together and reading these books it's a lot of comics to cover in one episode so i hope that everyone um was able to get through those and if you haven't checked out our reading challenge make sure to check out the link in the in the show notes um we've got a, a seriously awesome number of books in this in this reading challenge plus a lot of the book of the month stuff that we've been doing this year is amazing so if you haven't gotten on that get on that we've got we're very close to a thousand members in our goodreads group and as soon as we hit that i'm gonna go through the list randomly select 
select five people and they're going to get a bunch of free ircb merch stickers and shirts and whatever else we can produce on our, our cool little shop that we've got so make sure you're a member too because then you can get some free stuff from us so to wrap things up i want to say thank you to brian for, and, and nick for being on this episode um next week's show is going to be a mini sode we're taking the weekend off nick and i recorded an ice cream man episode we know that everyone out there loves those so we had to bring it back for volume seven look forward to that um you can always check us out on instagram twitter tiktok our discord is in the show notes our goodreads is in the show notes as i said support us on patreon at patreon.com slash ircb podcast to get early access to episodes access to the ircb movie club episode number 12 13 is coming out it's uh it's going to be awesome. Brian and Paul and I talked about Blade, which is probably one of my favorite superhero movies ever. So look forward to that. Uh, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. I want to say Xander does not forgive, but he will forget if you ask nicely. Thank you to Brian and Nick for being on this episode. Thank you to Kate for proof listening. Thank you to everyone for hanging out with us in the Discord. And if you got this far in the credits, thank you for being one of the best listeners of IRCB ever. Until next time, comics are good and so are you.